Hello, interwebs, and welcome to Close Up. I'm your co-host, Joe. And I'm Ryan. Welcome to another installment of Leisure Lists, where Ryan and I discuss all the entertainment we watched or generally consumed, which we couldn't turn into full episodes. From this extreme long shot, we'll skip right past our medium shot to get to our close-up. Guys, as usual, we got a lot to cover today. Uh, I'm going to be working at a ratio of 4 to 1. Because I watch a lot yeah, of stuff. Yeah, apparently Joe watches stuff with, like, multiple screens. So he's got to show up here, the movie down here, and then something else over here. Oh, you don't even I don't know. know how you're able to watch all this shit. Oh, you don't even know. You know you know that scene in the dark night when they're just looking at all the screens yep. across the city? Uh yeah, that's me, basically. Is how you have to imagine it. That's wild. So I'm gonna start off with um I'm just gonna ramble through uh a short list of stuff I started since our last leisure list in December, but I haven't finished yet. So right now I'm playing through Assassin's Creed Origins. I'm about 16 hours into the story right now. Uh, So far, it's fun, but the open world is wearing thin. I'm at that point in my life right now where open world was the genre that I used to go to above all else. But now I'm starting to like more linear games, smaller maps. Just tell me your story. Let me play and get out these like dozens of hour open in world games that just kind of feel sort of empty to me and just feel like I have to grind to complete everything on the map for exploration. I'm trying to make it feel more organic by just not doing things now <laughs> where I see a question mark on the map. I maybe just won't go for it, but uh, that maybe will help it feel a little bit more fun. But uh, yeah, I'm really digging the story so far. Great setting, ancient Egypt learning a bit more about uh, ancient Egyptian culture, because these Assassin's Creed games are, like, they're known as decently historically accurate. Uh, so far, good story. It's a good introduction to next-gen Assassin's Creed games. I've been behind on those for a couple years. Solid start. I'll get a back couple. to you on that. <laughs> I'm very behind. Video games are... Look, that's how I get through all this stuff, is you play video games and I watch TV and movies. I watch TV. That's really the difference yeah we allocate a lot of time to st- you can, uh, yeah uh so my second one buffy the vampire slayer season six i'm about once again about halfway through that right now as well uh buffy's a weird one for me because i watched the first three seasons about in high school and then netflix dropped it and then it's been years since i've been able to get back into it so lately i've been watching it again i got through season four and five now i'm on six. Uh, this year's depressing. <laughs> I think Buffy fans seem to know that just based on the online chat rooms I've been reading about the show. Uh, it's depressing and sometimes oppressively bleak, but it has its moments. I don't know Is if it's, it's the last season. Seven's the last. Oh, seven. Yeah, but six is just a real everything is going bad for everybody kind of season. Which, okay. Yeah, you know, season four was definitely a downgrade. Season five was definitely an upgrade. But season five ended with some pretty hefty consequences, which they needed to address. So now this is just the depressing season. I'll see how it goes. The back half has potential to be better because it seems like people are starting to get over their traumas now. Uh, we'll see what happens. 
Maybe it'll have an uptick. Uh, the Flash, Season 8. I'm about halfway through that as well. Uh, Flash is just having its final season, so I'm pushing to get through some of the old Arrowover shows. Trying to catch up on those again. I'm a couple years behind. Flash Season 8. Stronger than previous years so far, personally. Um, it, it started off really strong with the Armageddon arc, which is arguably the best Flash story on TV I've seen since a long time. Uh, the show's quality has been very up or down since, well, let's, let's face it, season three as far back as there but um it's kind of just gradually fallen off since then but season eight not a return to form mind you but i'm liking it i'm I'm not as annoyed by it except every time they say that barry's leveled up they say that at least once an episode and it's pissing me off but besides Level that up. yeah besides that not so bad also on the arrowverse train supergirl season six uh, also about halfway through that, but it's been a little while since I came back to it, so I've already forgotten what's happened. Tells you about how good that season is. It's fine. It's just meh. Whatever. It was okay. Uh, John Cryer is a great Lex Luthor. Melissa Benoist is fantastic as Supergirl. Everybody's, you know, Kyler Lee's fantastic as well. The actors on that show are good. The stories are just a little forgettable right oh now i remember what's happening it's uh nixley coming out of the she got trapped in the phantom zone and now a fifth dimensional imp came hitched a ride back with her causing some trouble there's been some interesting stuff supergirls i know a lot of people have hated the social justice slant that show's got but i think that's its strength personally when like the superman lore focuses on social justice aspects when the show leans into it it it's actually decent at it sometimes because that's just what the show is don't it's like it's not like the show got ruined by politics that's just what it was from day one take it or leave it um well that's my first four anyway what's your first uh first one is the toronto maple Leafs playoff run uh <laughs> this is my joke uh, answer i told you at the top as a time hey, no, recording it's all, it's all entertainment still here they're still here. <laughs> They're still in the playoffs. They're down 0-2, which is not great, especially going into Florida. But I had hope. You know, they made it past the first round. So they made it past the first round. So the first time in That's 19 years. Mm-hmm. So happy with that. Still gonna cheer them on until they die. But Bobrovsky's been an absolute wall. So they have to get by him somehow. And they it won sucks because the- they just. They just lost Matthew Nyes, which is not great. He's out for two games because of a concussion, but oh, fuck. No. Not fun. He got body slammed. Straight up body slammed to the ice, and the guy didn't even get suspended for it. Anyway. My real answer. <laughs> what were you going to say? No, to me, yeah, that counts. That totally, it's all entertainment. Just whatever we're, right. whatever we're just, I was about to, yeah, Anything I was goes. just about to go off a rant. Just the player association our Players Health and Safety Association for the NHL specifically, is so inconsistent. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's terrible. And you'll hear Leafs fans talk about a lot where Bunting got suspended for three games for an elbow to the head, uh, elbowing someone to the head. That's three-game suspension. Um, 
some people thought it would only be like a one or two, but three games is a lot for the playoffs. And you have a guy like Sam Bennett who just cross-checked him in the back of the neck, uh, back of the neck, and cross-checked another guy. Uh, it's the same guy at the same time when he was down at the back. No penalty, no call, no suspension. I don't think that deserved a suspension or anything, but that's the one he got fined for. But he didn't get a penalty or a suspension or a fine when he straight up just body slammed this rookie to the ice and pushed his head to the ground. I don't care if you gave Michael Bunting the suspension as long as you gave Sam Bennett one too. Just be mm-hmm. consistent. Like, Makes if you're going to deal out punishment, deal out punishment. That's why you hear so many Leafs fans complain year after year about refing, where it's just really inconsistent refing, where it seems like we're getting all the calls and the other team isn't. Do you want them to play playoff hockey? Fine, let them play playoff hockey. Let them go at each other every once in a while. Let them fight at each other. Let them hack and slash. But don't call penalties on one team and then don't call them on another. It's just, it's, it's been a problem for years, and it's not just the Leafs, it's been a problem. <clears throat> it even happened in the Dallas and Minnesota, uh, Dallas versus Minnesota series in round one, where there was just inconsistent calls. It's it's just been an absolute joke a lot of the times. And, you know, the refs have to back up each other and the players association have to back themselves up. But somebody's got to get in there and especially the commissioner be like, just watch the tape and just be like, no, something's wrong here. I mean, look what happened last year, game five, when they f- f- um, faced Tampa for the first time. And I don't think ever, but maybe uh, for a while. Those refs who ref game five were banned from refing another Leafs game in the playoffs. Mm. That's how bad it was. I don't really remember that game. I just remember the calls weren't I, happening. I do remember there was some controversy. Don't remember yeah. what now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you but, ask hey, my... we beat them this year. It's fine. Yeah. But next game brother... Sunday, so... As my brother liked to say, that was uh, get together. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) as my brother liked to say, there was at least two demons slayed: the the series drought and beating Tampa. So, yeah, and we don't have to face. It sucks like beating Tampa. Yeah, yeah, Boston choked harder than we've had in a while. I mean, the funny thing is. Like, Florida is a pretty decently good team. You just have to get by the goalie. And we've looked really good the past two games. But uh, the thing with Tampa is, I don't hate Tampa. And it sounds weird saying, coming from a Leafs fan, but I, you just, like, last year, it was a good series. Like, they battled to Game 7. We were the only team to take Tampa to Game 7. And they did lose to the Avs, but we were the only team in the Eastern Conference to take them to 7 games to actually give them... You know, they have to fight for this round win. I will confidently say that. And they have some really awesome players. And it's just kind of a respect thing I have. A lot of Toronto fans don't have... (laughs) Let's be honest. A lot of Toronto fans don't have a lot of respect. Even at their own players sometimes. It's hilarious. I've been down to the Maple Leaf Square a lot. You should just hear some of the words coming out of hockey fans' mouths. It's hilarious and also just concerning at the same time. But... Hey, that's hockey. It's the culture. I love it. Grew up watching it. Well, it's one I of the most. They make it past the second round. I hope they get a fucking win at least. That's all I want. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the Maple Leafs fandom is easily one of the most passionate sports fan bases out there in all of mm-hmm. sports. Hundred like, percent. Good luck finding 
a more dedicated city to their team. Yeah. Yeah. 100%, I agree. All right, so my next batch here, still stuff I started but haven't finished. Going back to the Arrowverse, Legends of Tomorrow, Season 6. Halfway through that as well. Look, I'll, I'll tell you now, how I do TV, I cycle it. I, for long seasons, I do about half a season. never do that. I do about half a season up to around the mid-season break. Then I do something else. And I try to cycle old, new, old, new. I do new show, old show, new show, old show. Throw in a couple sitcoms in there for good measure. Um, that way I keep it varied. Because I find, especially with long shows, that like these Arrowverse shows that are 20-something episodes a season sometimes, I can't just watched it for 20 episodes i like i it seems like i watch a lot of stuff but i don't have the time to just sit through 20 episodes of a show that it'd take me all month if i did that the reason i get through so much is because i don't finish everything all at once i just i do like five to ten episodes here bounce to something else if a show is maybe 13 episodes a season fine i'll watch that season before i move on to something else anyway it's the bouncing back and forth that's why it seems like i get through a lot more than I do. But Legends of Tomorrow Season 6. Uh, so far, solid. It, you know, it's been the Arrowverse's most consistent show since its second season. So for most of the Arrowverse's history. Uh, love this cast. Love these characters. Uh, Legends is a weird one because it changes cast basically every year. There's only... At this point in season six, there's only two cast members who've been with the show since season one. Everybody else has been flipped out at some point. So that kind of keeps the show fresh, but it's also a roll of the dice because, well, what if the new cast members you don't like personally as much as the old ones? I'm sure plenty of people love the new guys if you're just kind of coming on here. But it, it kind of keeps it interesting every year, for sure. And uh, I... I'm enjoying it, although it was sad that they they separated Sarah from the team for so long for that first half of the season. She was kind of having her own side adventures. But like Sarah's the main (laughs) character. Uh, The captain. Yeah. uh, But it was a good emotional hook that they all have to go and find her. Um, So that kind of kept the story driving. Like I said, it's a solid show. It's it's fun. It's crazy. It's always way out there. Personally, it's one of my favorite comic book shows of all time just because of how unafraid it is to get weird and go to and go into the the dregs of DC lore and just pull out just play pull out and play with whatever they can find. It's just like it's a very creative show and just just pure fun. Um I also started Chernobyl months ago. Oh. Uh, this is one of the shows Justin and I were watching together. This is a weird one. Hear me out. Fantastic show, but so bleak that he and I haven't been able to start again after about two episodes. We, we got, we got two episodes in and we're like, oh, we're loving this. This is so good. And then we just couldn't keep going. Uh, we plan to return to it eventually. Because it is, it is so good, really. Like, Craig Mason did a fantastic job on it. Um, everybody involved handled it super well. Uh, really well-written show. 
and uh, production values are fantastic as well. It's, it's also entertaining in a dark way, uh, I suppose, historically informative as well. But it's, yeah, I'm really loving it and want to get back to it eventually. Uh, yeah, I love and, that and show. You, and you guys are, are going to hate me when I talk about it later because tr- the bleakness of Chernobyl led into something else. Uh, but I'll I'll get to it. Uh, huh? So I'll get to it. It there was a consequence to it, the bleakness of Chernobyl that we had not intended. Just lead me on with this shit. <laughs> oh yeah, that's that's what you got to do. So the the last show on my list that I started but haven't finished is the Bad Batch, and that's another show that I've been oh, watching with started. Yeah, that's another show I've been watching with Justin. Uh, I'm about once again halfway through Bad Batch season two right now. And I'm liking it better than the first season in a lot of ways because it just got to hit the ground running and do its own thing. I also love that they have episodes focusing on the Empire. There was a whole episode about Crosshair and Commander Cody just doing their Empire thing. Mm-hmm. Like, awesome. You know, like there's um, this Imperial officer is also a main character this season, mostly with his relationship with Crosshair. But just, I'm glad they're. They're finally showing more of the Empire from the Empire's perspective. And they're not just focusing on the bad... Like, they're expanding the world a lot more. Um, They're going to more places, doing more interesting missions. They're just doing the... Like, now that they don't have to set up everything, they're just, like I said, they hit the ground running. They're they're just telling cool standalone Star Wars adventures of these one-off missions. It's not the most spectacular show out there. But it's like Star Wars comfort food. It's just, it's just decent Star Wars to watch. Really, it's not blowing me away or anything. But you know, I like Star Wars. It's a good Star Wars show. I just, I just like watching it. Um, so now we're into the stuff that I actually finished all the way. Uh, and the first thing I watched this all the way back in January. It's a movie called Plane. Underrated, actually. I went, it's a Gerard Butler and Mike Coulter uh, led thriller movie. I went into this expecting absolute nothing. It's a, you know, it's an action thriller movie in a January release slot. Like, oh, this is going to (laughs) be awful, probably. Because that's just how these things are set up to go. Actually, pretty good. Um, stripped down grounded in many ways um the action feels pretty brutal it's a really tight story about if you don't know what it's about because you you, it doesn't seem like you've even heard of it basically what it's about is gerard butler is this captain who is this plane captain who was ex-military and then um because his flight company are basically cheap jerks who uh, didn't want to have him take a different flight path. They made him go out into this storm, and then the plane crashed on this island that's run by these militia people. So then they, they take all okay. the, the, crew host, the crew and um, passengers hostage, and uh, Gerard Butler's got to team up with Mike Coulter, who's this ex-con. Well, who actually not an ex-con. He's an actual prisoner who they're transporting on board the plane. So. 
Gerard Butler and Mike Coulter have to team up to save the passengers and crew of the plane. And it's it's a really tense movie, actually. Pretty well written. The characters are well defined enough. It, you know, it kind of knows what it is and sticks to it. It's not like as stupid or crazy as you'd expect. It's just it's a solid thriller. And I think more people should go That's see good. it. Yeah, yeah. Gerard so, Butler's really good at those uh, thriller movies. Even back in the two thousands, just a clip came up of uh, Law Abiding Citizen. If mm. you've seen that. It's a really good movie. This is one he did with Jamie Foxx. But yeah. Okay. He's pretty what's, good. What's your next? Uh, since this is like coming back all the way like before Oscar season, like right after we did the other Leisure List, or yeah. even just the Oscar podcast, I watched Everything Everywhere All at Once. And Fantastic. I loved it. Fantastic good. movie. Um, Followed along pretty well there's only a few things i was confused about but then after i took some like thinking it it started to make sense a little bit but if you ever try to think too hard about a multiverse movie your brain will just break and it's not always going to make complete sense all the time i understand and also praise the oscars for giving it all the awards it did uh few i didn't agree with but that's neither here or there for me to save my opinion on that. I mean, everybody's really a winner if you're nominated. Just one person won it. But, uh, <clears throat> I thought it was a phenomenal movie. I thought it was a great movie about just this family and this one, um, middle-aged woman who what if her life was this way and all these, her different lives coexisting and then, um, the action's really well done. Um, Michelle Yeoh's oh gosh, fantastic. His, Michelle Yeoh's fantastic, but the the guy is her husband. Oh, Ki Hoi Kwan. Actor's name. Ki Kwan is phenomenal. His return to Hollywood is really really cool. It's really awesome to see him, especially from Indiana Jones and the Goonies. And he did he does a phenomenal job. Stephanie Hsu does an amazing job. Yeah. Uh, just an all around great cast. Of course, Jamie Lee Curtis, all fifteen minutes of her screen time. She won an Oscar um, for that. She did. She really did. And uh, she does an excellent job. She brings great comedic timing to it. Just a legend from the industry. And I, it just goes to show that um, people in Hollywood do like to take chances. And sometimes with those chances, you get one of the best movies that come out in the year. A sleeper hit. Really well done. Action's phenomenal. A lot more cast members in there who are... Um, prominent that i can't remember off the top of my head i think michelle yo's dad is a very famous actor oh played in uh, it. yeah um, I, I know i know his face i don't remember his name yeah, right yeah. now he's, he's really also good. very good in it the old man yeah mm-hmm. no Phenomenal i can't movie. i can't i can't leave it there because i'm gonna get blasted i know yeah, yeah yeah um yeah i loved michelle yo i've loved her even before everything ever all at once i've loved her before um Shang-Chi, you know, I've never, I haven't watched Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, but I've known her for some of her voice work, and just, she's just been a badass since day one. Yeah, pretty, pretty much. And she fully deserved um, Best Actress Award, 100%. James Hong. 
that's the guy, yeah. yeah. I love that Michelle Yeoh won it. She's been an icon. Not just for, I mean, not just for, like, women actresses, but for uh, <clears throat> Asian actresses as well. I mean, yeah. just, she's been a cornerstone, and she deserves all her praise and all the awards. She pretty much does everything you can do exceptional. In, mm-hmm. in terms of the acting, or, like, in terms of uh, being an on-screen personality, and an off-screen personality, right. too. She's just a delight. Mm-hmm. She is probably one of the main reasons I'm excited for Avatar 3, because she's in it. Yeah, Michelle Yeoh's, uh, she's a treasure. And Everything Everywhere All at Once, fantastic movie. Glad you finally got to see Mm -hmm. it. So my next one is a Spielberg movie called The Post. Have you seen that one? I've heard of it. Okay, It's not the one with Kevin Costner, is it? That's the postman. No. Yeah, Never mind. Keep this going. one's uh, Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks. So this one is about the leaking of a, um, these classified documents called the Pentagon Papers, which huh. basically, it's based on a true story. And basically what it's about is these Pentagon Papers, uh, they proved through decades worth of evidence that the United States always planned to go to Vietnam and and fight there even though for like for all for 10 years they basically said no 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 we're not we're not going to get involved we're we have no interest in getting involved meanwhile they were secretly planning to get involved the entire time and all these documents proved it that the government was lying to the public forever Look, we're at least a decade about this, and multiple administrations knew about it. And this was just like a huge conspiracy. Wow. Um, That's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, and it's about the story about these journalists who are trying to recover these papers while the government's trying to shut them down. And basically, the government's trying to shut down the free press. And they're like, we're journalists mm-hmm. trying to tell the truth, and the government's trying to censor us. This is screwed. So it's their yeah, fight. That reminds to get... me. Reminds me of a movie Jeremy Remmer, uh, Jeremy Renner did, mm-hmm. where he played this uh, publisher or not publisher, but he played this um, tabloid guy, like this journalist. Um, if I can remember the movie, he and it's basically about the him. Uh, this one guy who was trying to track down. Or trying to expose the kill the messenger is the movie. Okay. He's trying to uh, prove the government's and the go- uh, American government's involvement with supplying um, guns and drugs to the Mexican cartel. I think just to okay. that helped like uh, with on the war on drugs and trying to prove that the American government was involved in it. And uh, it's a pretty decent movie. That's kind of what reminds me of it. Yeah, it sounds like a pretty similar thing. Anyway, this, you know, massive Spielberg fan. He's my favorite director. Uh, taught me some history I didn't know. Just a interesting piece of historical fiction. And, you know, especially nowadays when the integrity of journalists are being attacked left, right, and center. <laughs> this is a movie that says journalism at its best is a 
real force for good and change. Um, and uh, it's it's a message I support. You know, this is journalism doing its. This is the fifth estate doing its job. Uh, right. Whatever you can say about the media now, this is what real journalism is about. Uh, so my next one, I saw uh, Women Talking, another Oscar movie, which I hadn't seen at the time when we, when we made our list. Um, I, I'm sure there's going to be this joke a lot online, but it lived up to its name. Didn't, that, didn't false advertise. Uh, the movie is literally just women talking for a couple hours. They all just uh, sit around in the barn and plot about what the next stage of... Basically what happened was in this little village. It's, um, so in this little village, all these... Uh, there's a string of rapes that happened. And a bunch of the men went to prison. But a lot of the other guys are like, okay, when they get bailed out of prison, they're just going to come back to town and everything will just go on as normal. Fine. But the women are like, um, no, actually not fine. So the women of the community all band together and they decide, okay, so what are we going to do? Are we just going to, are we going to stay a part of our community and just kind of accept the status quo as it is, even though it puts us in danger? Are we going to stay in this community and try to fight the status quo from within? knowing full well that we're not really in power here and that we could lose and end up in the same status quo anyway? Or do all the women of the community who want to leave just leave and start new somewhere else? So it's all the women in this community debating what they should do from this situation. And they have until all the the men and the rapists come back from town, uh, from jail. And they get the local school keep, the only guy who can read and write in town to take down the minutes of the meeting. So he's um, Ben Wishaw is the only uh, the only male actor in in the film there, and he kind of he's like the nice guy uh, mm. to provide a different perspective. Some later when they start trusting him a little more, he kind of gives his perspective as the the most educated guy in town. Yeah, this is set. Um, well, I won't spoil it, but it's set um it's set in like a not modern village. Commun- yeah. Village kind of thing. Uh is it the village twist where it's set in a village but it's actually modern day? That would be a spoiler. But yeah. So you, yes. Yes. It's like an <laughs> Amish village. Really. Ah. Uh, Sorry to spoil it. Gotcha. But it's not really a twist. It's more like just something they kind of lead up to. There's like subtle hints Mm. that it's not, it looks like it's set in the past, but it doesn't, like there's weird little things that don't feel quite right. Like sometimes you'll hear a modern song off in the background or like a car drives by and you're like, oh, that's weird. There's like this muted color palette. Angry Birds. (laughs) No, not that. But like there was a, there was a few weird things. Uh, Yeah. So it's decent. Um, Honestly. Don't want to undermine it, but it's kind of boring. It's intellectually interesting. You like you'll you'll come away. Well, it was with up a lot for of, uh, screenplay, right? That's what it was up for. Yeah, yeah. You'll come away think you'll come away thinking about it for sure. There's a lot of very interesting debate topics. They like 
you know, it's very, very heavy themes in here. Um, you learn a lot about feminist theory watching this thing. It's, it's very interesting, but not that entertaining is my right. two cents. Uh, but you'll come away, you won't come away having learned nothing. You'll, uh, you'll definitely be thinking about it for a while. Uh, my That's next good. one, in the exact opposite direction, Ghostbusters 2. Uh, this is another one I watched with Justin, because his girlfriend hadn't seen any of the Ghostbusters, so he's been showing them that, and I just showed Same. up the night. Yep. Okay. So I just showed up the night they were watching <laughs> Ghostbusters 2. Funny thing about Ghostbusters 2, me and Justin both realized, is that we've seen Ghostbusters 2 more than the original, both of us, somehow. I don't know how that happened. But, uh, Probably because yeah. it reruns. Yeah, maybe. As when we were kids. But uh, yeah, oh, it's underrated. Shit. Maybe we should explain where reruns are. So, kids, back in the day, <laughs> we didn't have streaming. <laughs> we had yeah, this thing called a box, a cable box. And you didn't get to choose what movies were on. Sometimes it was different movies throughout the year. Sometimes it was the same movie week to week at 2 o'clock in the morning. It's all you could watch on television at night. And sometimes they played those same things again, and we called those reruns or syndication mm -hmm. to be fancy. And uh, yeah, goes Golden Age. <laughs> I am nostalgic for it. I I do miss when. Oh yeah. Because people were more on the same page back then for things. Whatever shows yeah. were on, like I could talk. That's why you and I can talk about shows from our childhood, and we pretty much remember them all. And then we talk about mm -hmm. shows like today, and we have to have a whole podcast just for all the stuff we weren't watching mutually. Right. <laughs> That's what this is, is just us catching up on all the things we didn't mutually watch. The rest of the podcast mm -hmm. is like, yeah, okay, this is the stuff we both watched. But anyway, Ghostbusters 2, underrated, uh, really good stuff. Uh, it takes it in a very different direction. It's the only Ghostbusters film to have a villain that's not Gozer, so I appreciate that. Uh, it's, you know, it's got the main cast back again. They're, uh, they're all still doing their best. It's, it's still funny. It doesn't, it expands the lore of the first one. It's a solid sequel all around. Not as good as the first one, but like not as bad as people would have you believe. It's a good Ghostbusters sequel. And it's a, it's a good, uh, I don't want to call it an adventure movie, but kind of comedy paranormal movie. It's good. Also That's in good. that vein, Justin, another one Justin and I watched together was Wednesday. We watched that mm. on Wednesdays. Uh -huh. This was at the recommendation of our boss who'd been watching it with his daughters. Personally, this show is better for teenagers. Or it's more directed at a teenage audience, I think. No. <laughs> but, you know, we still had a good time with it. Uh, Jenna Ortega's fantastic in it. She's really funny. There's a lot of great jokes in this show. Especially because, for someone like me, who's a real fan of dark humor, which I don't see often enough in the mainstream. So I watch a show like Wednesday, where it's basically all morbid dark humor, and I laughed so hard sometimes. It's... Mm. I appreciate it a lot. The special effects are also really cool in it. The way they did the hand uh, thing, that was really impressive. I don't know how they pulled that off. I need to look at a behind the scenes on that. The plot I'm itself. Sure there's a quarter digital episode about it. It's a practical hand, though, I think. 
Like it's an Probably. actual, it it's might an be actual a mixture guy of both. who does them. Yeah. So yeah, the plot's a, a little bit predictable. There's like a love triangle thing, kind of teenage angst angle, whatever. But there's a lot of really cool stuff in there as well. It's it's got a cool setting. This school for misfits and monsters. Basically, there's like I think uh there's like demogorgons there and not demogorgons, um gorgons. Uh there's uh. vampires. Just yeah, weird people, werewolves generally. It's yeah. Good morbid fun. All right, what's your next thing? Uh my next thing after I think it was after I watched The Whale was a uh, Fableman's I mm. fuck Spielberg does not miss. I mean, he's just he's so good, and it's kind of an autobiography, but it's different in a lot of ways. It's his love letter, uh, love letter to film, and what I love about this, it shows the process of filmmaking back in the day, like how you were able to do it. The thing that stuck with me the most was how they were able to do bullet hits on the ground. That where was my the guy steps on part. a wooden yeah. plank. Yeah, that was my like oh shit moment. Where it was like oh that's how they did it because you never really think about it if uh, you just kind of like especially nowadays you could just be like oh you just go into Premiere or After Effects and put in a bullet hit and add a few smoke layers over it. But back then they didn't have the computers to do that. And just his passion for filmmaking, especially filming on film itself, is really well done. Super well directed. Uh, Even just... relationship with his parents. Yeah. I I think even in a a year where um, Everything Everywhere All at Once didn't come out, this would probably be one of my favorites for directing. Just because Mm -hmm. a lot of scenes in this movie, especially acting scenes, he doesn't cut away a lot. It shows the full performance of a scene, not in these one shots, but in these longer takes. And that's something I can really appreciate because with a lot of stuff today, some scenes aren't as memorable um, just because it's a lot of jump. It's a lot of cuts back and forth reaction wise to each character. And let's face it, a lot of those takes are probably not from the same take. And... Not to say that they're bad, but they're not as good as stuff that's filmed here or in something else that's I'm going to bring up later on. But I love this movie. It was really good. Um, it's a shame that everything everything all at once swept. <laughs> Fableman's freaking made me cry. There's only maybe a couple movies that could do that. Fableman's was one. And not like in the theater. Not while I was watching, but on my way home, just thinking about it made me cry. And I can't even tell you why necessarily, but it just it hit a little too close to home for me, just because I saw too much of myself in it, and like my relationship with my family was a very similar dynamic to that. I think I talked about this in our Oscars mm-hmm. one, so I won't reiterate myself too much. But it was just, it, yeah, I don't think I've ever seen myself so much in a movie for better and for worse. And it's, yeah, very inspiring at the same time, though. Uh, the screening scenes were some of my favorite. Every time he screened his movie, that's magical. Even though it's just little student home films, really, somehow he made the screening scenes look mm-hmm. epic. 
my, one of my favorite scenes is when the bully confronts him and he goes, why would you yeah. do that? Why would you make me look like that? That's not who I am. Don't spoil it now. I just, oh, who cares? I don't fucking care. It's just, it's just yeah. a great scene. And then it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's him being like, it wasn't about you. It's just like, you have the look. I just, I'm, it's just because I had this vision in it and I'm butchering what he's saying, but the way he talks yeah. about it, Good it's scene. just like, it wasn't a, it wasn't about you. It was, it was about this. It's like, I, it's like, I didn't want to make you that, but yeah, it's just a really good scene. Yeah. Fantastic one. All right. So my next one, this, this chunk, I'll, this will be your fast. next 10. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the next bit, I'm going to group together John Wick two and three. I watched for the lead up to four, which I talked about a little bit, I think in our John Wick episode. I uh, really enjoyed John Wick 2 and 3. I'd never seen them before. John Wick 2 really expanded the lore of the world. Um, took a more... The villain was really interesting. Uh, they dragged Wick back into the game after the first one. He he really takes a lot of personal damage in that one with what the villain does to him, really pushes him to the brink. There's a lot of twists and turns in the narrative. It's really, really interesting. I really like John Wick 2. John Wick 3, I liked a little less so. I thought some of it was a little too over the top at times. Started to lose what I liked about the series. But all the action is still superb, and that's the main draw of the series. So, you know, no complaints there. It's, um, Keanu Reeves is another treasure up there with Michelle Yeoh. (laughs) So, (laughs) he makes few lines very impactful. I love how he basically doesn't speak, but everything he says is just somehow he makes it awesome. Uh, but yeah, these two are really good sequels. John Wick 4 is the best sequel, but uh, we already talked about that. But yeah, I'm glad I watched John Wick Phenomenal. 2 and 3. I'm, you know, some of the best action movies of our time. Don't want to miss those, right? Oh, yeah. So this is another one I'm kind of going to skip over, but... After Ryan explains God of War to somebody who's never played God of War, I tried the original God of War from 2005. And I kind of want to skip over it a bit now. I mean, I I would want to talk about it, but I do want to do a full follow-up episode to that Ryan explains where I talk about my experiences playing God of War. Uh, Who knows when I'll get those all done, but I just want to let you guys know that, you know, our regular... Listeners of close up that I have played the first one at the very least. So there, I'm making progress. Uh, and going back to my TV slow yes. process. <laughs> and going back to my TV thing, the reason I'm not going to get through it that fast is because I got to go back and forth. I can't just do all the God of War games or I will burn myself out. I did that for Uncharted, and that's why I still can't play the fourth one because. I burn myself out on it. I need to bounce back the and forth. The fourth I'll... one is like the best one. <laughs> I got to bounce back and forth. It'll take me forever because video games are the lowest on my priority list. But anyway, uh, this one's a little different, but I finally finished the Brian Michael Bendis run of Superman comics. Very behind on comics too. But uh, this is one of the most controversial runs of Superman ever made because of what Bendis did to the character. 
He took him in a direction a lot of people didn't like. Oh, and what he did to John Kent? Oh, don't even get Superman fans started on that. Yeah, they will never shut up. <laughs> and uh, I'll admit I was mad at first, but I've settled into it. Because I, I like John Kent as... What'd he do? Okay, so basically what happened was the Rebirth run of Superman is one of the best runs of Superman ever written. That's where Superman and Lois Lane basically are just like, it's a family story where they're just raising their son, Jonathan Kent. And he's, you know, he's just a kid. And they have this great family dynamic going back and forth. And that was written by um, Patrick Leeson and Peter J. Tomasi. And uh, you saw me get uh, the, uh, the autograph at uh, Fan Expo mm-hmm. from, uh, from him. And uh, so following that run was Brian Michael Bendis's run. And what he did was he kind of found an arbitrary way to separate Clark Kent and Lois Lane so that, like, they weren't always together anymore. Like, Lois moved into an apartment on her own, but they were still married. And they took Jonathan Kent and put him into space. And then they made him, they put him into this wormhole where he got, like, because he was in a wormhole, he aged way faster than everybody on Earth. So he basically aged from a kid to an adult and got tortured for a really long time. And then when he came back, he was an adult. And then, like, Superman and Lois lost his whole childhood, basically. So they're like, you took one of the best Superman runs of all time where he's raising Jonathan Kent, and then you just age-skip Jonathan Kent. And not only did you ruin it, not only did Superman and Lois not get to raise their kid for very long at all in continuity, but the Super Sons, which is Jonathan Kent's team-up book with Damian Wayne, Batman's son, was one of the best-selling books at the time, one of the most acclaimed runs of comics at the time, and by making John Kent an adult, you screwed up their dynamic too. So you ruin the Super Family and you ruin the Super Sons very quickly and very early into your run just to shake up the status quo. So he didn't get off to a great start in the fan base, I'll say that. And then he just kept making changes and tweaks. The other huge one mm. was when he had Superman reveal his secret identity in like in a global press oh, conference. God. Yeah, that was another controversial one. But I actually liked it. I'll say, honestly, that's my <laughs> hot take for Bendis' run of Superman. I did like the identity reveal because of, I thought he made a good point in that for somebody who stands for truth, justice in the American way, he does keep a pretty big lie. Uh, and in the book, they kind of explain, yeah, okay, it made sense for him more at first when he was just starting out because he didn't know how people would respond to him. But he's been Superman for a very long time. People know who Superman is. They trust Superman. And Clark Kent's made a name for himself too. So it's more about revealing himself to the world and then people and people's reactions to it. People don't trust Clark Kent immediately. They're like, a lot of his co-workers are like, oh, you've been lying to us for a very long time, but you're still Superman. So we know you're a good dude, but we're kind of pissed at you. And a lot of the world is like, oh, well, we never really knew this guy at all, but he's still Superman. But Bendis also did a lot of other interesting things, too. Like, he, he had uh, this whole space setting where uh, they formed the Legion of Planets. 
together. And like, <laughs> that was a really cool storyline. Um, the invisible mafia storyline was kind of hit or miss. But yeah. Bendis's run controversial, but I liked it on a, you know, issue by issue basis. It was interesting. I liked that he took big swings. He didn't always hit them, but he took bigger swings than a lot of people in comics nowadays do with a main character like that. So I don't always like it, but I respect it. That's my review of Bendis as Superman. And I only I don't know how many comic runs I would mention on this show. It's just that it was such a big and controversial one for its time a couple of years ago. Anyway, so what's your next one? Uh, my next one, I just finished uh, streaming this on Ryan Walker Official, YouTube.com, Ryan Walker Official. Uh, Jedi Fallen Order, just to get through, mm. um, to get ready to Jedi Survivor. And replaying it, uh, yeah, the glitches are still there, but still a lot of fun. Um, practically saved or proved people that an EA video game Star Wars-based game could work. And yep. look what's happening with Survivor. I mean, no spoilers. I haven't played it at all yet. But it has probably been, <clears throat> for it's been very well received. Except for Jedi PC Fallen players. Order was, well, they don't matter. But Jedi, <laughs> uh, Jedi Fallen Order has been really good. It's really funny with a lot of, it's happened a lot with AAA games where the PC port has just been garbage. And I don't know why. I think just a lot of gaming Game developers care more about the consoles because that is the, that's just the, I think it's easier to hardwire it maybe onto the console. And I think people's PCs are just way too different from each other where console by console, like my PlayStation is the exact same as yours, but my PC is 20 times different than your PC. So some people's ports are probably way off. So sucks to suck master race, huh? Anyway. But Jedi Fallen Order, I think it's really well done. Cameron Monaghan does a phenomenal job establishing himself as another Order 66 survivor. Um, no spoilers for the very end fight. Uh, the surprise came at the end. is still jaw-dropping, still gives me chills. Uh, the combat is really good. It is, it is what they say. It's Dark Souls, but Star Wars. Uh, it's very difficult. I just beat it on the hard difficulty. wasn't that hard. Um, Cause you no your trophy for it though, but it was just fun. Yeah, but it was still like it was tough. But I played it through. It was hard. weird. I think some of the yeah, some of the boss battles. I think maybe because I was just so familiar with it that, or maybe just because I'm a parry god. Like I, it's just it's I'm just good at it. Um, but what really, actually, what was really troubling was the bounty hunters. Whenever they showed up, the two oh I the showed up pairs. I don't think I ever beat one. Yeah, those suck. Those are terrible. Um, but I made sure to, and I might go back and 100% it one day, but probably off stream. But yeah, it was really fun. Can't wait to play Survivor. Um, Cal Kestis is probably, probably after Survivor and maybe even the third game, if they do a third game, is probably going to be one of the iconic Star Wars characters in recent years. I think he already is. He established himself pretty early. And uh, I'd like to see more from him, sure. Jedi Fallen Order is fantastic. Uh, one of my and also favorite. we have Cameron Monaghan, too, uh, like as the head of it, who is a very well-established actor. So I love that trailer they did with him and Mark Hamill. So funny. Yep. Great moment It's very there. funny. 
So lately, he's I've been, in the game at all. I wouldn't be shocked if he did a voice acting role somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wouldn't be as Luke because that's not his era, but no. Maybe it's something. Somebody. He'd be a baby at that point. He'd be like 10. He'd still be a baby. Maybe. Yeah. I think Actually, this is, Survivor said around the same time as Kenobi, I think. Yes. Around so there's there. theories. I don't, I don't know any spoilers, but there's theories that Obi-Wan might show up. I think it's more likely Reva shows up personally. But Ew. yeah. Hey, I thought that's where I thought. I knew Survivor was... <laughs> 10 years after around the time of the Kenobi show. And when I'm like, well, yeah, that could be overlap there. So my next one, uh, I'm watching, I finished Simpson season eight and I'm going through season nine right now. Oh, good. You have 29 more seasons to go. Chip away at it. Uh, but you know what? The golden age of the Simpsons is considered season three through eight. And the decline of The Simpsons is usually pinned to one specific episode in season nine, very early on, and I can see it. I can actually see it. I knew it was coming, and maybe that's my bias showing, but I could actually see what the episode did. I was prepared for it, and it still bothered me. And then basically everything afterwards has been a tonal shift. I can tell. This is the famously. People have called this uh, Homer of this era jerk-ass Homer. Mm-hmm. Maybe you've heard that thrown around about The Simpsons. I can start to see the rise of jerk-ass Homer. Um, basically, that's where he became more of a... Like, his idiocy and selfishness started eclipsing him just being a decent guy and father. Which, like, that was always prominent before, and he could be stupid and arrogant and selfish. But then those traits became the forefront of his character for many, many years. And I'm starting to see that creep up more and more now as I go through season nine. So that's bugging me. But the show is still hilarious. So, you know, little things are bugging me, but it's still really funny. So I'm not going to complain too much. I just... As a Simpsons fan, Did I you know. Did you ever watch the movie? When it came out, whenever it came out. Yeah. I like never 20, watched the show, but I watched the movie. Like 18 really years weird. ago? Something yeah. ridiculous? No, maybe 2007? I don't know. It was forever ago. Uh, I remember liking it when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, before memes were memes, right? Spider-Pig, Spider-Pig. Spider- like, everybody was quoting Spider-Pig that. Spider-Pig does, yeah. I remember Spider-Pig. So another sitcom uh, I've been watching, 30 Rock. Finally finished 30 Rock mm. as well. Uh, 30 Rock, funny until the end. Uh, everybody got good resolutions. Though my investment in the show gradually waned over time, I really outright loved the first couple seasons. Not that the other seasons got worse. I still laughed a lot. I just... Wasn't feeling it quite as much. Maybe because a lot of it got really heightened. Stuff I liked about certain characters just got diminished. And then some of their worst traits just ballooned over time. But a lot of shows do that over time. Sitcoms specifically. Uh, And I got to give a shout out to my favorite character on the show, Jenna Maroney. She's so funny. Like, 
Jenna's the only one who makes me laugh every time because of her extreme narcissism. Like, it's it's so bad and borderline sociopathic, but it's so funny. Yeah, very funny. Uh, So my other one, another one I watched with Justin. I watch a lot with him. Uh, Clone Wars micro series. We just watched this the other week. Right. The 2003. The original. (laughs) Yeah. The original Clone Wars cartoon, 2003 to 2005. uh, By, what's his name? Guinea Tartakovsky. Is that his name? Sure. Did I botch that? (laughs) Sorry. Who also made Samurai Jack. So yeah, these cartoons, they're very nostalgic for me. I still remember all of them, probably because I had them on DVD and rewatched them. I used to do, as a kid, the Star Wars marathons, where every year I'd I'd watch the original six movies in these 2D micro-series cartoons. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had them kind of ingrained in my brain. So when I'm rewatching them with Justin, I'm like, oh, and here's the part where Kit Fisto kicks ass on Mon Calamari, and here's the part Mace Windu beats a bunch of super battle droids with his bare fists, and here's the part where um, other thing, oh, where uh, Obi Wan goes jousting, <laughs> just all these little yeah moments. It's a great show, great miniseries. Yeah. yeah, if you look at it as a series of little shorts, it's great. If you're looking at it as a series is uh, like one overall story, it's a little weak. Uh, but then the second volume is basically just one overall story, and it's really good. It's right. about Anakin facing his inner demons whilst elsewhere the battle of Coruscant rages on and they're trying and Grievous is trying to kidnap the Chancellor and Shakti is trying to defend them. All really good Star Wars content. I'm a, I'm a pretty I'm more nostalgic for this show than anything but I really like a lot about it and I'll come back to it every mm. so often because the animation is superb. It's you know, it's top-of-the-line stuff, really. Lucasfilm doesn't really deal in subpar technologies, usually. No. They have always been boundary-pushing. And uh, I think he was doing the best animation at the time, so they did a show in his style. Uh, so the next one, Shazam! Fury of the Gods. I'm a fan of Shazam. You know, the first Shazam movie is one of my favorite. Didn't we talk about this? I thought you talked about this. I think we talked about it, but we didn't talk about it on there. Oh. We, t- we talked about Black oh, Adam. I thought we did along... like a, I thought we did a half and a half. Oh, never mind. We did that for Black go Adam for a long, long right, time yeah. ago. I thought we did it again for Shazam. Never mind. Go ahead. No, I, I don't think I ever talked about it. Yeah, Shazam, uh, Shazam was my favorite DC movie uh, of the newer, of the last decade. When that first came out, I thought it was fantastic. I love the first Shazam movie. Uh, so I was pretty hyped going into the sequel. It's just average. It's not... I think it would have been better received if it came out 10 years ago before superhero movies got oversaturated. As it stands, it's just okay. So I understand why not a lot of people went to see it. But I really like the actors in it. The uh, The performances are fun. It's a pretty light-hearted movie. doesn't take itself too seriously. Once again, it's the weird side of the DC universe. I always love the weird stuff in comic book movies. It's just, you know, mm. it's just fun. I don't have a whole lot to say about it. I, you know, it would have benefited if Dwayne The Rock Johnson was more of a team player. 
and they didn't have to go yep. in circles just to avoid Black Adam, uh, which was also just a fine movie. But yeah, it's not bad. It's not Says great. he's a big comic book fan, but doesn't even know that Shazam is his character's main antagonist. No, what's worse is that I think he knows and just doesn't care. Yeah, yeah. that's bad. Yeah, you can't be a Black Adam fan and not know that he's Shazam's main thing, but he just doesn't care about Shazam. Unless you're just stupid. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I really like Billy Batson. He's not stupid. Yeah. Shazam is one of the greatest concepts for a superhero out there, and I, I enjoy this movie. I don't think it's going to get a third at this point, but I'll... You don't say after it's box office flop. <laughs> Badly. <laughs> But I'll take the Shazam franchise for what it is. I'll I'll like to revisit these movies just as a as a duo of like you know what yeah the Shazam movies are both decent. You know once again maybe not great but whatever. All right, what's your next one? Uh, next one. This is a weird one. It's called Reign of Fire. It is Rain a Fire. Christian Bale, Matthew McConaughey movie about a post-apocalyptic world where. It's not zombies t- that took over, it's dragons. Wow. And these dragons sprouted out of the ground sometime in the 90s. They lived underground for the longest time. And it's kind of like a modern day apocalypse movie, but it's uh, humans fighting dragons and fighting to stay alive. And the reason why I think this movie was, I think it was actually personally pretty good, is the effects of it. They don't show the dragons fully for a lot of the movie. They're usually kept in shadow or they're shot in a way that make the dragons look gigantic or very threatening. It's not like a free-form camera. It's shot like the camera is grounded and the dragon's actually in the scene. And for 2007 uh, CGI, it's not that bad. Hmm. I heard they used a fuck ton of napalm making wow. this movie for a lot of practical fire stuff. It's really awesome. Uh, Corridor Digital does a VFX artist react to this movie and they go into detail about all the um, the fire effects and stuff. It's shot beautifully and once again, Christian Bale does no wrong. He can't be bad in this movie. Matthew McConaughey is shredded. He's bald, but he's got a Viking beard. Hmm. I think it's a it's a great concept, and this was this was around the time in the two thousands where Hollywood just said fuck it. They're just like we're gonna make what we're just gonna go off of this random idea and hope it's great. And I don't think it was received that well, but I think it's I think it's a sleeper hit. I enjoy a good two thousands movie because, like you said, this was back when Hollywood was still taking some chances. It was back before they mm-hmm. just settled on dominant IPs and just ran with them for reboots and remakes until the end of time or until they stopped making money. 2007 was a simpler time. Ah, uh, yes. 2007. So my next one, Banshees of Inisherin. One of the best movies I saw last year, for sure. Well, I mean, it was from last year, but I saw it this year. Anyway. It's, uh, it's a fantastic psychological it's about a psychological breakdown on this little Irish island called Inishrin. Uh Basically what it's about is this, this one guy who everyone kind of considers a simpleton 
He's not that intelligent. But his best friend is one of the smartest guys on the island. And then one day he's just, they're going through the motions. The, the, the simple guy is just, he wants to go to the bar with his friend like they do every day, talk about whatever they talk about, whatever dull conversation of the day. And then his friend doesn't go to the bar with him. And then all their mutual friends are like, oh yeah, that's weird. Yeah, why, why didn't he show up? Uh, and I think, wait, actually, I think they said he did come earlier. They're like, oh, that's weird. He's not doing the routine with you. And then he does show up and he just tells him, oh yeah, I don't want to be friends with you anymore. Why? I don't know. Just don't want to, just don't want to be friends with you anymore. But that, but he that used to be nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, that's basically what it's about. He's just trying to bug this guy to find out why he doesn't want to be friends with him anymore because they live on this little island and they don't have anything better to do. And the other guy just Mm -hmm. increasingly seems to have a mental breakdown being stalked by this guy, basically. And he's just like, leave me alone. If you don't leave me alone, I'm going to cut my fingers off and throw them at your door. That's your consequence for not leaving me alone. So it just uh, starts escalating. The more he doesn't leave him alone, the more the other guy retaliates for not being left alone. And it just starts getting crazier as it goes. It doesn't get, like, ridiculously crazy. It's not an action movie or anything. It's more of a psychological breakdown. Not, like, not, um, it's not going to, like, screw with you or anything. But it's just, it's just an interesting portrait of life on this little island that the, the pleasantries just sort of devolve what turns nice people into assholes and right. Like what's the limit? How far can you push people? Uh, it's just, it's really complex written and it's pretty funny mm-hmm. too. There's a lot of good humor in it as well. I, I highly recommend this one. It's just a great, yeah, it's on my list. Just a great piece of writing really. Uh, so my other one here is Star Trek Picard which I recently just wrapped up. I freaking love this season, which is big for me because the first two seasons sucked. I went way too light on them at the time because I just... Picard is my favorite character from The Next Generation. So, and Next Generation is my favorite show of all time. So I couldn't really take the first two seasons sucking the way they did. But season three is... Maybe the biggest return to form I've ever seen on a television series. They swung so hard the other way, you don't even need to watch the first two seasons to get this one. It's like you can just watch all the originals and then hop right into Picard Season 3, and you're not really missing anything, except for a couple little details here and there. Oh, who's this character? Oh, who's that one? Doesn't matter. Just go with it. All the next-gen crew... All the Next Generation crew finally comes back for this one because they were kind of absent for the first two years. But now they're all back and they're all done justice too. They don't, you know, they don't do what every legacy sequel does and deconstruct and ruin them. They still feel like who they always were, more mature versions of themselves. Just down the timeline, 
Maybe they're not all in the most ideal of situations. Their lives didn't all turn out the best. Some, pe- some of them faced tragedy. Some of them grew and changed in ways different than we might expect, but it all felt organic to who they were before. So they were all handled superbly. This is nostalgia bait done right. Because they, they move things forward in a meaningful and organic way whilst keeping the essence of what it always was. Uh, just It made the next generation fan in me, it made my heart sing because it's, it's so perfect how they brought everybody back together. But it also really sets up the legacy characters in a very interesting way. Because the first two seasons tried to have these legacy characters who might spin off into another show. But that didn't really pan out. Uh, but the, everyone they introduced this season was like, oh, yeah, I know, I need to see a show with these people now. So, like, they really sold me on everybody this season. The plot is really tight, too. It's just a good sci-fi plot that also has a lot of uh, steep lore and Star Trek history. There's a really good mystery in there as well. I don't even care if it's a, a good Star Trek continuation. This is just a good season of sci-fi TV. Just in, in general. And it's a, it's a must-see for Star Trek fans in particular. It really pays off the, the 90s era of Star Trek in a, in a satisfying way that we haven't gotten up until now. Star Trek's in the middle of this renaissance where the last couple seasons of all their shows have been like really solid. I really like... Star Trek Discovery Season 4 was pretty good, but then Strange New Worlds and Picard have just been, okay, Star Trek's good again. So, very happy to see that. Alright, are you on your last one now? That's good. Last one? I got three more, buddy. Oh, I think we messed up the ratios here and there, because I'm, I'm on my I last told one. You, so I told you one. eight. <laughs> okay, uh, just real counting. quick. My bad. Um, just real quick, uh, both I've rewatched recently both Incredibles movies. Um, phenomenal family Pixar movies. I cried almost multiple times watching the first Incredible movies because, or the first Incredible movie. Uh, just amazing. Brad Bird is such a visionary, and. I've looked it up. A third one is on the way in 2024. And I cannot wait. I still haven't it's, seen the second one. It's really good. And the way uh, how the second one just picks up literally right where the first one left off is really awesome. Mm-hmm. I think most of the voice actors are back. Or probably everybody except for Dash because puberty. And the animation is gives a boost to like Incredibles one still had stellar animation, but God, it's such a trip, man. It's such good writing. The first movie had amazing mystery behind it. Um, second one falls short a little bit in terms of the villain category, but I won't say why because hmm. Disney and Pixar, uh, especially Disney at the time were going through this phase with villains at the time where it was the, uh, surprise villain arc they were doing that a lot especially in their animated stuff so it falls short on that a bit but still lots of fun the second movie can't wait for the third one all right were those your two combined no i have two more after all right go for your second last because i forgot i had one more Our, our last one's the same so 
Oh, uh, yeah. Um, fresh off of watching the D and D movie, I was recommended Vox Machina. And oh, that was the probably... one I wanted to do. La- that was the one I wanted to do last. Well, how da- Well, then it's your fault. <laughs> <sighs> okay, I'll do the other one then. Uh, I finished watching Sopranos. Oh, and you finished it. I finished Fantastic. it. All done now. I at first I was like, yeah, this is a pretty good show. I'm loving it. I was like at first a little worried because I was I wasn't hating it. I was thinking, oh, this is a really good show. Um, I'm not understanding the best of all time hype right now, but then it got to like the fourth season. And I was like, fuck now, here we go. It's getting phenomenal now. And Man, just what a shame James Gandolfini died so young and how he's not around more. But just the stacked cast, how just the how they were able to. The reason why I didn't understand it the first three seasons was because I had seen stuff like that now play out in The Sopranos. But the Mm -hmm. thing is, Sopranos was the benchmark. They were the benchmark for really good, well story craft television and people just keep stealing from them well they were also one of the first shows to be like a bad guy like tony soprano yeah like and a guy with such violent tendencies can have a multifaceted Mm -hmm. character he can go to therapy have traumas like normal people have a dysfunctional family life where he's just kind of fights with his wife all the time, has kids who don't really respect him. He's just, he, they kind of just did, like they just made Tony a regular guy who also happens to be a mobster. It was just, it was that complexity mm-hmm. that had never really been done before in a mobster character. And then everybody ate that later. They're like, oh wow, this opens the doors for everything. Yeah, yeah just a really well done show. Some of the best episodes are in the later seasons and they don't even have to deal some of the best episodes don't even deal with the mob life. It's just really well-crafted storytelling. Yeah. Just the amazing actors all around, amazing writing. I can't praise it enough. Um, the quote-unquote controversial ending, I don't even think it was that controversial now that I know all the context. I actually think it's really smart. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I've it sucked that I waited so long to watch it, but I'm glad I did. Nice. All right, so my second last one is the one I teased pretty early that I'm going to get crap for. Oh, no, I know what it is now. Yeah? Okay. Don't bring this up. So, Justin and I, we burnt ourselves out of Chernobyl very early uh, because it was so bleak. And then one day as we were, that day as we were scrolling through Crave, uh, we happened to see another show, which Ryan's leaving. Uh, so we, we saw this show and we thought to ourselves, well, you know, a lot of people seem to hate this. Um, Justin hadn't heard of it yet, but I was like, you know, no, 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 this is going to be dumb. People hate it. We can't do it. And he was like, no, Joe, we're doing this. We're going to do it. We're doing this right now. So that he takes out, the, takes out his remote, clicks on it. We start watching, and we hate it. We are, uh, we are cringing like crazy. It's so bad. Uh, first 
10 minutes, we, it was the worst thing we'd ever seen in our lives. And then we started getting into it, actually. The pilot episode was one of the worst things we've ever seen in our lives, but after that, Velma started seeming pretty good. Yes, that's right. I'm talking about Velma, no. the most hated no. show on the internet. I refuse. I refuse to it, believe that. It is overhated. It's. Justin and I do not understand that people did not get the joke of that show. Everything people complain about was clearly intentionally there. You can argue all day long about whether that intention was good or not, but people are complaining about it, not realizing. The, the way people complain about it, it's like they don't think the writers were thinking about that. Every single thing is tailor-made to piss people off. The fact that Scooby-Doo isn't even there. The fact that Velma and Daphne kind of have a, like a lesbian relationship. The fact that Velma and her family were race-swapped. The fact that like Shaggy was race-swapped and doesn't even do drugs or like he actively hates drugs. And... Like, the fact that Fred is this fragile white guy who's super privileged and airheaded and, like, everything about the show is a lightning rod for controversy. But you don't think the writers knew that going in? So once you get over that mindset and you're just watching the show as a parody of, about people who are trying to piss you off, it is so funny in many regards. Like, so, some of the jokes on that show, like, yeah, it's very cringy in many ways, but there were certain moments that just had us dying laughing. It, it, we started, the first couple episodes were like, you know, no, we wouldn't get through this if it wasn't for each other because it, we wouldn't bother, probably. But then there hit a point in the show where we're like, no, we, we'd unironically watch this just on our own, just because it's actually entertaining. So, yeah, whether you're entertained with it by hate-watching or you genuinely enjoy it, it does not deserve a one-point-something on IMDb. It's not that bad. It's, it's over-hated nearly for it's sport. It's pretty bad. Have you it's watched it? It's pretty bad, Joe. Have you actually watched it? I've seen it? clips. I've That's seen not... clips, not just from the first two episodes, but the later on episodes, too. It is garbage. It's basically like, hey, what can we write? to make white straight men feel bad the entire time because they're just straight white men. Oh, and, and it's definitely that. Might that. Be but once the you joke, leave it... That might be the joke, but it's a bad fucking joke. It's over-political for no reason. It's like, it has nothing to do with Scooby, the Scooby gang. And, like, I get it. Maybe it's a parody of the thing, but if you're not going to do the Scooby gang at all, then why fucking do the Scooby gang? Just write a different character, call it that, call her Mindy if you want, because it's basically just Mindy Kaling being Mindy Kaling, and then just do that. Why do you intentionally want to piss people off? That's a bad comic. Sure. I'm not saying those things aren't there, because they are, and it does get very political. But also, if you can, you know, put aside some ego and just watch it for what it is and like fred is like i said he's the fragile white male character maybe you can get offended watching him do his shtick but he's the funniest part of the show it is like his lines are the ones that made us die laughing it more than anything 
it's like, yeah, maybe that's a, a beating a dead horse, but the jokes are actually kind of funny if you let yourself not be offended by them and just and just watch it. So, you know, I get why some people hate Velma. I get why a lot of people hate Velma, but I just think it's overhated. And I'm not saying it's a masterpiece of comedy by any means or that it's some hidden gem. I just don't think it deserves unanimous hate. I think a lot of people miss the joke of it or don't appreciate what's there. They hear it's garbage. They go in watching, seeing the whole thing through this lens of everything is garbage. So everything becomes garbage. What's the joke then? What's the joke they're missing? The audience hating it. That's the joke. The creators are laughing at you that's because they, stupid. they made that's a show. That's stupid. I know, but that's why I laugh at it. Because the creators made a show that the, uh, they knew the audience would hate. And the fact that everyone hated it is kind of the joke. Because they played right into it. without. <laughs> and to me, that's the funniest part. They played right into the, into the hands of people and got the reaction that I feel like the creators wanted. And they feel like they're doing it unironically. And that's just, that's the irony to me. That's the funny thing. They think they're being clever criticizing it, but I think that's the exact reaction it was going for. Yeah. You've officially broke me. Oh, God. Whatever. Watch the show from start to end, and... I'm not going to watch the fucking show. If the whole joke is, hey, we made something terrible because we knew you'd be mad at it. <laughs> Look at you being fucking stupid when we wrote something stupid. No, I'm not doing that. It's it does a stupid get, joke. It does get kind of investing after a little while. Once again, you just gotta be in the right mindset. I just don't understand why... Look, I've seen a lot of terrible... Can't believe, I can't believe you finished Velma over Chernobyl. That's ridiculous. Look, Chernobyl was so depressing and Velma made us laugh. So we kind of just gravitated towards that after a while because it was like... It was nearly like... I can't like associated a, with you anymore. It was nearly like a, every time we thought about Chernobyl, we got so depressed that we're like... Oh, but we're still we're still on Velma. Let's torture ourselves with that instead. Until we started kind of becoming invested in it. And then we powered through like five episodes in one night. I'm not proud of it. It wasn't my idea. Good. I just Good. went I just went with it. But then I kinda came out the other side unironically <laughs> enjoying it. Not loving it, mind you. But you know what? I, I'm no stranger to hot takes on this channel. I think Velma's good and I stick by it. Not going to no, make more of a scene than this. This is, you won't hear a peep out of me about Velma until season two, probably. But. Oh, yeah, because that got greenlit. That was funny. Yeah, because I so many people hate. Greenlit. See, that's what I mean. So many people hate watched it. It ended up getting greenlit. Isn't that a good irony for you? It's funny irony for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it probably won't be as like not as successful. It'd probably be like I feel like it'd be worse received because you can't just keep beating the same dead horse. Oh no! I, I don't like, know. Hey, 
this is so terrible that we're going to do it again. It's like, okay. No, they got to change something up. We'll see. The only positive I can say about Velma is that the animation's beautiful. It's the only positive. Yeah, the animation's got a good style to it. Yeah. Yeah. I just love Fred and not Shaggy Norval. They're just, they're really funny. (laughs) Anyway. Uh, Last one on the list is something we both enjoy. The Legend of Vox. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, it's so good of a show that I'm rewatching it right now. It's just, I don't understand how this has not been promoted more and more and more and more. Because it deserves to be say what seen you will by about everybody. Yeah, say what people will say about animation, but fucking Christ, is it just really well crafted storytelling? Because basically, what Legend of Vox Machina is, it is based off of this D and D campaign that the YouTube channel Critical Role did years ago, and they played through years ago, and they basically took that campaign and made it into a TV show. And the reason why it's so good is because D&D has very well fleshed out storytelling. Big thanks to it is, of course, by Matt Mercer, who is phenomenal at his job as the DM and as the, you know, creator and owner of Critical Role, I believe. And just all the... It has some of the best voice actors in the business on the show. It's got Ashley Johnson, Laura Bailey, Travis Wilhelm, Liam um, O'Brien, Marcia Ray... Sam Regal. Did I say Laura Barely? I think uh, I did. Talison Jaffe. Talison Jaffe. Yeah. yeah, those are the main seven. And Matt Mercer, of course, he does some as well. And, and a whole bunch the of The first guests. season. Yeah, all tons of guests. First season, really fucking good. Uh, one overarching story in the first season about one of the characters in the group. Really well done. Um, Percival DeVoe. Drama, Percival DeRolo gets his revenge mm-hmm. on the Second Rider. season. Exploring the entire realm, really good. More personal, not one-off stories, but every episode uh, featured episode more. Yeah, yeah, individual stuff. You love each and every characters. You love the relationships between each other. Just really done, well done show. And the only thing I'm mad about is in Vox Machina is that it's not talked about more. That's really all I'm mad about because it's on Prime. But it's not promoted anywhere. Well, I think a good example here is, well, let's say you versus me, for example, right? Up to a couple months ago, you'd never played D&D. You weren't really in the D&D sphere of the internet at all. And you, I don't, you never even heard of it, right? Uh, like I've heard of Critical Role. Yeah. Or like I've Legend of Vox Machina, the show. Yeah. Right? Never. Like you weren't in the D&D sphere at all. And you hadn't even heard of Legend of Vox Machina, which is like, it's on Amazon Prime. It's legit. It's not, it's not like it's some yeah. third-party streaming service you've never heard of. Um, yeah, and then I told you about the game, and you looked more into it, and now you love it. But it's it, it, people who aren't in the D and D sphere at all don't know about this show, really. Maybe you stumble onto it scrolling through Amazon Prime if you were bored someday. But it's a really fantastic, sh- like the characters, the world building, the voice acting. The animation, the the action, just everything. It's everything you could want in a fantasy show, really. I don't... 
I don't really know what it could do any better. It's, um, you know, all the characters are fantastic. They don't all get a chance to shine right away, but you grow to like them first and then start to like them more over time. Everybody gets a story uh, that they're still paying off. They're only in season two, but you can tell the world's growing already. Season one was more focused in that, Mm-mm. okay, this is all about Percy and his story, but season two really let the cast balloon out uh, to their all individual things, which I really appreciate. I like season two more personally, even though Percy's my favorite character in yeah. the show. Season, yeah, see, it's it's weird because I think both seasons are phenomenal. I think season one has the better overarching story, but in terms of just an overall season, season two is better. Just because of the characters, uh, they all grow individually. The one-off episodes, I mean, God, just so many is just like epic battles and epic moments in season two. And I know season three is confirmed, but and also their campaign of Mighty Nine, they're doing an animation show about that as well, which is really awesome. Yes. Um, and it's just like, and then after I finished season two, I was like, oh, I can't wait for season three. And then I realized season two came out in March. I was like, oh, no, I have to wait. I have to wait so long for season three. But yeah, I think my boat. favorite characters, it's a tie between Vex and Vax. It's a tie between the two twins. I, I like can't Percy. put one over the other. I like Percy and Vex myself. Mm-hmm. But I also laugh yeah. my ass off every time Grog Strongjaw opens his mouth. Travis is yeah. so funny. Oh, Grog and Grog and Pike are my favorite like duo. Grog and they're Pike my are favorite. Great. They're so good. Yeah. When they had to Oh, that's spoilers. Never mind. They're just There's scary. a time where they're not together and it's sad. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, okay, just well. amazing amazing show. I if if you take anything from this list, the show you need to watch the only animation show you need to watch out of this list is Vox Machina Velma. and not Velma. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just, I cannot stop praising no, the show. No, seriously, go, so go see Vox. Yeah, on all honesty, go see Vox Machina. It's, it's really fantastic. Mm. Maybe you wouldn't like it if you're not a fantasy fan, but if you're even the least bit into fantasy or just, like, good characters or you, like, ensemble casts vox machina is about as well done as could be and there's plenty left there's plenty Mm -hmm. left to go this season this show could run for years the adventure was written i don't know five six years ago it's all out there they just need to animate it basically so many and just even like just the talent of talison jaffe because i knew he did it in the campaign but he has so many just iconic lines from the show Yes. As Percy. It's just great. Your soul is forfeit. Okay, well, that does it for this leisure list, unless you got any more to add. Uh, Velma's trash. Anyway, you can find me <laughs> at Ryan Walker Official on YouTube, uh, TikTok, and on Instagram. You ever heard of Reduce, Reuse, Recycle, Ryan? Yes. You can, it's another thing to do with trash. You can reuse it. Just keep using it. <laughs> just, just, just keep using it. Just because just it's trash doesn't, just because you want to throw it away doesn't mean it's not entertaining. 
Anyway, you can find me on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at ThoughtPlay Media, if you still care to see my reviews after this. Also, check out the Close Up with Ryan and Joe Facebook page for latest updates on the show. If you listen to us in audio, check out our YouTube channel. And if you're on YouTube, find us anywhere you get your favorite podcasts. Also, check out thoughtplane.ca forward slash blue star for most up to date information on our short film, A Blue Star Apart, uh, coming to Film Fest this fall, hopefully. We hope to see you on the next close up with Ryan and Joe. Till next time. Take care. <laughs>